Well, good morning and happy new year to you. We are glad that you are here. Spend the last day of 2023 worshiping Jesus, and we hope that you are encouraged this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 2, we are continuing through our series in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 2, 21 through 52 uh, this morning, and as you are turning there, um, I think one of the things I believe that people generally like to talk about and tell stories about is their kids. It can be about your children, it can be about your son or your daughter, or maybe about your grandchildren, or maybe about a niece or a nephew, but whatever the case may be, we love to tell stories about our kids. And we tell these stories for a variety of reasons, right? Some of those stories may be really funny stories that we like to tell. Or we might want to brag on our kids, right? Talk about a great accomplishment or just a story of a really great character moment that we got to see in our kids. Stories of how we connect with our kids or maybe just pleasant memories that we have of our children. I love to tell stories about our boys, Yes, guys, I'm going to tell a little bit of stories about you this morning. I did not prep them at all for this. I promise it's not going to be too embarrassing this morning, but I love to talk about my boys. I love to tell um, Joel's story about his traumatic birth and how he spent his first 22 days um, at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City and how the Lord did this great work of, of healing him and, and restoring um, his health. I like to talk about his singing accomplishments, the choirs that he was in, the solos that he had, the musicals that he was in, the plays that he was a part of, as well as his artistic ability. He's also my concert buddy. Whenever there's a concert that I know nobody else in my family will go to, I know Joel will go with me. And so I have drugged him to a lot of concerts. And then there's Micah. I'm proud of Micah and all of his swimming accomplishments that he has over the years. And the way that he always makes us laugh. There's a lot of joy to be around Micah. As a matter of fact, when Micah was a little kid, uh, we called him a party in a box, is what we called him, because he, had, oh, he always had so much uh, joy and energy about him that he's always just so fun to be around. And I love to talk about Caleb and the way his creative mind works. Uh, he is my most quotable kid. If you read my posts on Facebook, I talk about Caleb a lot because he just has these incredible artistic ideas that come to him that are so amazing and, and creative. He's also my biking buddy. He's the guy that goes with me, and we've biked countless miles uh, together. When he was little, we used to call him the wrecking ball um, because he used to kind of just plow through everyone and everything, much to the demise of his brothers. And then there's Jonah. I loved how incredibly bright and intelligent he is. And that he has this really big heart. I mean, he is a true servant in our family. Whenever we need something, I know that we can always count on Jonah to be there for us to help out. He's my sports buddy. I think you probably know he's just a little bit of a Chiefs fan, um, if you've seen him around. But he also loves the Huskers, the Royals. I mean, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, even volleyball, he is right there with me. And I could go on telling you all sorts of stories about my boys if I had time. Because we have no problem telling stories about our kids. I mean, my mom loves to tell us the story about the day that I was, was born. As a matter of fact, we were with my folks earlier this week. And we were just retelling just stories of when I was little and, and growing up. 
But today we have something very unique when it comes to Luke chapter 2. This is the only place in Scripture where we find any sort of stories about Jesus when he was a child. The Gospel of Matthew tells us very little about Jesus and his birth and his childhood. We do read about the wise men's visit, that they worship Jesus and they bring gifts to him. And then there's the flight to Egypt to escape Herod and the potential death of Jesus. And then their return trip to Nazareth where Jesus grows up. But in all those stories, we are told very little about Jesus. But it's here in the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's very different. In our passage this morning, we get three encounters with young Jesus. Two, when Jesus is a baby, and one, when Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. And so the question becomes, why are these stories in Luke's gospel? What is their purpose? If you remember when Pastor Ryan started taking us through Luke, Luke has this prologue that he wrote to Theophilus, and Luke says these things. He says, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So these stories of young Jesus are not put here by random. Luke doesn't just throw in cute stories of baby Jesus for some sort of sentimental value. Luke doesn't just add the story of Jesus as a kid for fun. No, there's meaning and there's purpose here. These stories have been intentionally chosen. There are things about Jesus that Luke wants Theophilus to see, and I believe Luke wants us to see them as well. So let's read this passage here in Luke this morning, and more importantly, let's see what the Lord has for us and what the Lord wants us to see about His Son, what He wants us to see in Jesus as both a baby and as a kid. So I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 52. It's a little bit longer passage this morning. The passage will be on the screens that you can follow along as you read, but if you could stand with me in honor reading God's Word. Where the Lord says this, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into, and he came in the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phinel, and the tribe of Aser. And she was, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, into their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, we, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. And I would just pray now that this morning that we would find great encouragement in this passage that we see from Jesus. We know that you have things for us to see about Jesus. And I would pray that you would help us see those things this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there is a lot that is going on in this passage, and there's a lot that we could say here about this passage, but I know that our time is limited this morning, so what I want to do is I want to bring up several themes. I won't be able to bring up everything that we see in this passage this morning, but I do think there are several themes that we can draw out of this passage and then look at several applications that we can take from these themes to help us understand why would Luke include these stories about the early life of Jesus in his gospel. The first theme that I want you to see this morning is the theme of temple. Notice that both of these stories of Jesus here in Luke chapter 2 take place in the temple. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that the setting for both of these stories of Jesus are taking place in the temple. I mean, I'm sure there are all sorts of stories that Jesus could have told about, uh, that Luke could have told about Jesus growing up. 
whether it be in Bethlehem or their time in Egypt or their time in Nazareth or maybe when Jesus was in um, Joseph's carpenter shop, right? But none of those stories are here. The only stories that we have are these two stories that both take place in the temple. And I think that Luke is being very intentional here. I think there's something that Luke is wanting to teach us about Jesus. Now, for now, I just want to make this observation of temple, and we're going to come back a little bit later about why I think that is significant. The next thing, theme that I want us to see this morning is that there is a theme of waiting this theme of waiting is especially seen in this first story when Jesus is a baby in the temple. In verse 25, we learn about a man named Simeon. We learn that he is a righteous and devout man and that the Holy Spirit upon him and that he was waiting. And what Simeon is waiting for is the consolation of Israel. Now, you may be wondering, what does the consolation of Israel mean? We don't talk like that today. But for the people at this time, the consolation of Israel was a significant thing. The word consolation means hope, encouragement, and comfort. Simeon is waiting for the comfort of Israel. And this is no ordinary comfort. This is a comfort that comes from rescue and deliverance. Simeon is waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver the people. And Simeon has been waiting for this deliverance, this consolation of Israel, I believe, for a while. In verse 26, we read that it was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. And when Simeon sees the Lord's Christ in Jesus in verse 28, we see Simeon's response in verse 29 with these words, Lord, now, or you could say, Lord, at last. You have let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The wait, it looks like, is finally over for Simeon. We can see from his response that he can now die in peace. That doesn't seem like something a young person would say. It seems like something that someone would say who's been waiting for a long time, that he's saying, at last, this has come. It seems that Simeon could very well have been waiting for this moment for a very long time, and that moment has now finally arrived. But Simeon is not the only one who is waiting in the temple. For the next person we meet in this temple story is a prophetess named Anna. And here's what we know about Anna. We do know that she is old. She is 84. She is a widow, and she's been a widow for a very long time. And she never leaves the temple. It says that she is worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night all the time. This is what Anna is doing. Anna's devotion, dedication to the Lord is quite remarkable to read about if you really think about just how much time she spent doing these things. And I think there's a very specific reason, reason that Anna has never departed from the temple all these years because Anna is also waiting. Because when she sees Jesus on this day, she goes and tells it to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna tells it to these people who are waiting because she's just like them. She is also waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
So with Anna and with Simeon, we can see this theme of waiting. Another theme that we could see is, this, is a theme of salvation, specifically the salvation that Jesus brings. We already saw that Simeon has been waiting for the consolation of Israel, but what we also need to recognize is that when Simeon sees Jesus, he makes the connection that Jesus is that consolation of Israel that he's been waiting for. That Jesus is the hope, that Jesus is the comfort, that Jesus is the encouragement, that Jesus is the rescuer and deliverer. That we can see all of these things can be found in the one person of Jesus. And I hope that for you, you see all these things for Jesus for yourself as well. And Simeon then reinforces this idea of this Jesus as the consolation of Israel of his words in verses 29 through 32. Look in verse 30. Simeon says that when he looks at Jesus, his eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. And then in verse 32, that Jesus is that light for revelation for the Gentiles and that Jesus is for glory for your people Israel. So, when Simeon is looking at Jesus, he sees light and he sees glory. He sees that Jesus is the one that God has prepared to bring salvation both to Jews and to Gentiles. There's even a pointer to the salvation that Jesus will bring in verse 34 when Simeon says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Simeon is saying two things here. One, when he talks of the fall of many of Israel, he's talking about judgment that Jesus will bring for those who do not trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. But Jesus will also be for the rising of the many in Israel, that he will be the one that brings salvation. So for Simeon, he clearly sees that in Jesus, salvation will come for all people who will believe in him. And he sees all of this in an infant. In an eight-day-year-old baby. Anna also clearly sees that Jesus is the salvation for those who come to believe in him because Anna makes this connection that Jesus is the one who will be the redemption of Jerusalem. This redemption is an idea of ransoming, which means that Anna sees that Jesus is going to be the one to pay the price to set his people free. This is the work that Jesus did on the cross to save us, that we were in bondage to sin. And Jesus paid the price with his life to ransom us and set us free from sin and from death. So there's this clear theme in Luke chapter 2 that is coming, this coming of Jesus is to provide salvation to all people, both Jews and Gentiles. Salvation that is seen in an infant. Another theme that we can see in Luke 2 is the deity of Jesus, this theme that Jesus is God. We first see this theme of deity of Jesus in verse 26, when Simeon has been told that he would not see death before he sees the Lord's Christ. This phrase, the Lord's Christ, means Messiah, Son of God. This is, these are deity titles for Jesus, that when Simeon sees Jesus, he knows that he has seen the Lord's Christ. There's also a deity statement of Jesus himself in verse 49, when he's in the temple, right, as 12 years old, 
Mary and Joseph finally find Jesus when they've been searching for him. He's in the temple. And how does Jesus respond to them? He says to them, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, that's a really bold statement for a 12-year-old Jesus to be making. Now, there's a lot we do not know about what it's like for Jesus to be both 100% man and 100% God and to grow from baby to child to teen to adult. I mean, we do read that it says in verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But one thing we do know from this story that Jesus at 12 years old had a clear understanding of the reality of God being his father and that Jesus had a job to do. And that is a deity claim. If you read in John, it tells us in John that the people wanted to stone Jesus because Jesus was saying that God was his father making himself God. So there's this connection when you say that, that God is my father, that that is a deity statement. And Jesus says that he must be at his father's house, that this is a statement of purpose, that Jesus had work to do, and he must be about that work. And that work is the work that God has him to do, and he must be obedient to God and do what his father tells him to do. So Jesus knows his identity He knows that God is his father, he knows his deity, and Jesus knows his mission. He knows why he's here, and he knows what he must be about doing. Plus, the mere fact that when Jesus is in the temple, he is surrounded by the teachers of the law. They are the smartest guys in the land, and they're all amazed at Jesus for his answers and for his understanding which shows us that this is no normal 12-year-old boy. There is something extraordinary here about Jesus. Even at 12, before Jesus is considered an adult, deity is seen in Jesus. There's also this theme of worship. When Simeon sees Jesus, he takes Jesus in his arms and he blesses God. Verses 29 through 32 is actually a hymn that Simeon sings. It's a song of praise and worship to God for the salvation that he brings. Anna sees Jesus and begins to give thanks to God. So seeing Jesus brings out worship in people even when he was just a baby. There's this theme of awe and wonder that the people have when they encounter Jesus. I mean, I think you could classify all of Simeon's reactions to seeing Jesus as awe and wonder. In verse 33, we see Joseph and Mary's reaction to Simeon's encounter with Jesus. It says they marveled at what was being said about Jesus. Anna celebrates the sight of Jesus in verse 38. The teachers of the law marvel at Jesus and were amazed at him in verse 47. Then in verse 48, when Mary and Joseph see all that's happening with Jesus in the temple and with the teachers, it says that they were astonished. Every single person that we see in this passage is filled with awe and wonder when they encounter Jesus. There is something extraordinary that is found 
in Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is with these themes that we can see here in Luke chapter 2 is to see that all these themes center around Jesus. Theme of temple, waiting, salvation, deity, worship, and wonder. And I think that the fact that these two stories of young Jesus both take place in the temple is telling us something about Jesus. That in Jesus, something greater than the temple has arrived. This is what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 2 and verses 19 through 21. It says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? And he was speaking about the temple of his body, John says in verse 21. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6, Jesus says this about himself. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Remember, if you look back in the Old Testament and you look back at at Solomon's dedication of the temple, we read that the temple is the place where the presence of God would dwell. It talked about how the cloud would fill the temple and the people couldn't even go in because of the presence of God was signified with that cloud in the temple. The temple is the place where sacrifice took place. Temple is the place where the people were told to go and pray to God. And the temple is the place where worship of God takes place. So what I want us to see here this morning is that Jesus is the greater temple. Jesus is here. And both times that Jesus is in the temple, worship and awe and wonder happens around Jesus. Something that was supposed to be reserved for God is happening with Jesus. We've seen deity of Jesus here in Luke 2, which is meant to show us that the greater temple is here because to be with Jesus is to be with God. To see Jesus is to be in the presence of God. We find in Jesus salvation that he brings in his sacrifice on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray to now because he is the one who intercedes to God on our behalf. Remember, at the death of Jesus, it tells us the temple veil was torn in two, that Jesus is now our access and our way to God in prayer. In all of this, Jesus has replaced the temple and he has become the greater temple. In Jesus we find where the fullness of deity dwells, as Ryan read for us in Colossians chapter 1 earlier. Jesus is our perfect and final sacrificial lamb that brings salvation to us. Jesus is the one that we come to now in prayer. Jesus is the one that we worship. And Jesus is the one that we stand in awe of. All that was found in the temple has now been found in Jesus in a most complete way because Jesus is superior in every way. And Jesus has become our great temple. Jesus is the one that we go to now for all of these things that the people used to go to the temple for. Jesus is all of this for us now. 
He is our great salvation. He is our great God. This was determined in Luke chapter 1 before Jesus was even born and has continued to being confirmed to us in Luke 2 when Jesus is just a baby and a child. Remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus to make sure that he clearly understands from the very beginning we know that Jesus is God and that salvation comes through him alone. This has been the definite plan all along. And the result of seeing Jesus as God and our Savior, should bring great awe and wonder to our hearts and should result in great worship of Him. So I think the invitation is come. Come to Jesus. Come to Him and come often for worship and prayer. Can I encourage you as tomorrow we head into 2024, make it your, your goal to come to Jesus often. He is inviting you to come and commune with him and be with him. But there's also a theme of waiting that we see in this passage, right? Both with Simeon and Anna. And I think there's some good application points here for us as well. One is we know for sure that Anna has been waiting for a very long time. And it looks like Simeon has been waiting for quite a while as well. And both of them, I would say, have experienced a lifetime of waiting. And from their reaction, when they finally see Jesus, I would venture to say, if they were standing here today, that they would tell you that Jesus was worth waiting for. I mean, can you imagine waiting your whole life for something? Can you imagine waiting decades for something? Some of you may be able to relate to that this morning. Some of you in this room may nod your head and say, yes, I've been waiting for decades for something. Well, I would just encourage you this morning that you are not alone. You are in great company with Simeon and Anna. I mean, it seems to me that waiting is one of the most repeated themes that is found in all of Scripture. I mean, we already saw it in Luke chapter 1 with Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? They were of old age when they finally had John the Baptist. But, and that's just the beginning of all the places that we find in Scripture where saints spent decades waiting on the Lord. And I begin to wonder, why is that? Why do we see this repeated theme of waiting in Scripture? Well, I think one of the reasons is that I think every single one of us in this room could say we're waiting for something right now. Maybe it hasn't been decades. Maybe it's been days or weeks or years. But I do think we're all waiting for something. And I think waiting is not natural for us. I think waiting is hard. And I think we all need help with waiting. And that's why we see this repeated theme in Scripture of waiting, to give us reinforcers that, yes, you can wait on the Lord because I believe that waiting is a great teacher. Waiting teaches patience and creates dependence. But there are some things about Simeon and Anna and in their waiting that I want us to see here this morning. Is both of them were not passively waiting. They were not sitting around twiddling their thumbs whistling a song, waiting on the Lord. Instead, I would say that they were actively waiting. 
They were very purposeful and intentional in their waiting. They were very dedicated in the midst of their waiting. Simeon is about being righteous and devout in his waiting. Anna, in her waiting, is never leaving the temple, day and night, worshiping with fasting and prayer. I would say that they are both very busy in their waiting, which leads to a really good question. What are you doing in your season of waiting? Are you seeking the things of the Lord as you are waiting? Are you drawing close to Him in your waiting? Are you devoting yourself to the things of the Lord in your waiting? Are you worshiping Him, fasting and praying as you're waiting for Him? See, I believe waiting can do one of two things to you. One is that it can drive you closer to God, which can result in sweet fellowship with Him in the waiting. Or it can drive you away from God, which results in discontentment and isolation. And I can tell you over my years, I've done both of those at various points in time in my life. And I can guarantee you the first one is way better than the second. Yes, waiting can be hard. But God is always good. Waiting on Him and His timing is always worth it even if it means we wait a lifetime. And I think that's what Simeon and Anna would attest to here this morning. So if you are waiting today, can I encourage you, don't give up on the waiting. Renew your hope in God. Ask Him to give you the strength to continue to trust Him in the waiting. But there's another thought that I had here about waiting this morning. And that thought is this. Jesus is coming again. So in a lot of ways, we are like Simeon and Anna. And the question becomes, are we devoting ourselves to actively waiting and daily looking for the second coming of Jesus? I'll tell you, that was convicting for me because I can't stand here this morning and tell you, man, every day I wake up, I think, man, today is the day that Jesus could return. Let's go. More often I don't do that than I do do that. But the reality is this, is that he is coming again. And this time when Jesus comes, it's him coming as a glorious, victorious king. Jesus is coming to make everything that is wrong in this world right. He is going to come and rid the world of all sin and brokenness forever. And are we anticipating and waiting for this coming of Jesus? The way Anna and Simeon waited for that first coming of Jesus. That's convicting to me. But can I encourage you, let's be active in our waiting. Let's be about looking for Jesus. I think maybe one of the things that we could do in 2024 is say, God, is this the year that Jesus returns? 
And let us be looking forward and anticipating the great and glorious day of his returning. Because when Jesus comes, what a glorious moment that will be. Without a doubt, we will be filled with awe and wonder when we see Jesus face to face in all of his glory, in all of his righteousness. And when we see Jesus, not only will we be filled with awe and wonder, but we will respond with grateful, joyful worship of him and praising him as our victorious king and our great savior. Because when he comes, we will see the completion of the salvation that he is bringing. And when he comes and returns, he will bring us to himself and we will be in his presence forever. It says that there will be no temple in Revelation because God is in the midst of us. We will dwell with him in all of the fullness. That is a glorious day, and it's a day that we are looking forward to. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that your word is so rich. There is so much more we could have talked about Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 52 here this morning. But I pray that for us today and into next year, that you would first and foremost fill us with more awe and wonder of you. That you are all these things to us that we looked at this morning. That you are our hope, our comfort, our encouragement. That you are our God and Savior. That you are our sacrifice. That you are our high priest. You are everything for us. And I pray that that encourages us this morning. And I pray that there would be great growth of awe and wonder and worship of you in this next year. And Lord, for those who are waiting this morning, I pray that Luke 2 was an encouragement to see Anna and to see Simeon and to see all the others that Anna talked about who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, that you came. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God, that you always come through for us. You never let us down. You are always there. And I pray that we would be encouraged in our waiting and renewed in our hope in you. And do, God, I do pray that we would be a people that looks for your glorious return. Lord, help us to think about that more often. I know that we look at the world right now and we think that the world is a big mess, and it truly is. But the solution to all of those messes is your return. You will right everything. Oh, God, help us look forward to that great day when we will be with you in perfection and wonder, God. Give us eyes for that. Help us to anticipate and help us to long for that day and to see all the beauty that comes with that day, God. We thank you that you are coming again. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Pray this in your name. Amen. Right, our benediction is going to be from Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. I'm going to read uh, verses 20 and 21, but if you could stand with me for our benediction. 
The Word of God says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.